Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to WPT Industrial REITs conference call. This conference call is being recorded. Before we begin, let me remind everyone that during this conference call, management may make statements that contain forward-looking information. This forward-looking information is based on a number of assumptions and is subject to a number of known and unknown risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from those disclosed or implied. We direct you to the company's earnings release MDNA and other securities filings for additional information about these assumptions, risks, and uncertainties. Now that the formalities are out of the way, I would like to turn the meeting over to Scott Fredrickson, Chief Executive Officer of the REIT. Please go ahead. Thanks, Keith. Good morning, and thank you for joining us. With me today are Judd Gillitz, the REIT CFO, and Matt Semino, the REIT COO. Before we dive into our detailed results, I want to provide a few high-level comments on the quarter and the U.S. industrial market more generally. While broader uncertainty, whether from COVID-19, geopolitics, or otherwise, continues to impact and influence the overall U.S. economy, we've seen increasing strength in the U.S. industrial market and continued cap rate compression in most of our investment markets. As reflected in our own strong operating performance and increases in the fair value of our portfolio. And looking ahead to the remainder of this year and into 2021, we expect to see continued positive momentum on the leasing front with discussions actively underway on a number of larger renewals and expansions and accelerating growth in our private capital platforms. With that preview, I'll now turn things over to Judd to discuss the REIT's financial results in more detail. Judd? Thanks, Scott, and good morning, everyone. Before I begin, let me remind everyone that all figures discussed today are stated in U.S. dollars. Total investment properties revenue for the three and nine months ended September 30th increased 55.5% and 47.7% over last year, primarily due to 2019 and 2020 acquisitions with additional contributions from increases in base rent. The REIT also earned management fee revenue of approximately $900,000 and $1.3 million in the quarter and year-to-date, respectively, as we saw increased construction management fees in the third quarter. Net operating income for the three and nine months ended September 30th was up 52.2% and 45.0% from last year. Same properties NOI, while impacted by a 2.4% reduction in occupancy, is up 1.7% and 1.8% for the three and nine months, driven mainly by favorable releasing spreads and contractual rent increases. GNA expenses for the three and nine months, excluding any fair value adjustments, were approximately 3.0 million and 9.3 million. FFO and AFFO for the quarter were up 48.7% and 43.5% respectively. FFO and AFFO per unit were 25.3 cents per unit and 19.7 cents per unit respectively. Both FFO and AFFO were mainly impacted by acquisitions in 2019 and 2020, increases in base rent in the legacy portfolio, and by a reduction in general and administrative expenses from the prior period. Offsetting these increases were a reduction in management fees attributable to a variation in promote income, a reduction in occupancy, 
and the impact of a 41.3% increase in the weighted average number of units outstanding compared to the same period last year. Our ACFO payout ratio for the quarter and year-to-date were 80.9% and 96.2% compared to 90.3% and 99.6% in the same periods last year. ACFO payout ratio was directly affected by the timing of equity financings in October 2019 and February 2020 relative to the deployment of those equity proceeds. At September 30th, our balance sheet and liquidity position remained strong with cash on hand of $19.5 million and remaining availability on the credit facility of approximately $156.5 million. Reported leverage on our balance sheet, net of cash on hand is 47.4%, with a debt-to-adjusted EBITDA ratio of 9.0 times. During the quarter, the REIT also completed the following notable transactions. On August 28th, the REIT sold the investment property located at 1370 Discovery Industrial Court to a third party for net cash proceeds of approximately $10 million. The proceeds from the sale were used to repay indebtedness. Also on August 28th, the REIT contributed a land parcel in Egan, Minnesota into a private capital joint venture for a combination of cash and equity interests in the new venture. The REIT is developing a distribution building totaling approximately 200,000 square feet on the property on behalf of the joint venture. On September 3rd, the REIT contributed the land, a land parcel in Houston, Texas into a private capital joint venture for a combination of cash and equity interests in the new venture. The REIT is developing an industrial building totaling approximately 500,000 square feet on the property on behalf of the joint venture. Following the end of the quarter, the REIT's private capital development project in Walton, Kentucky was sold to a third party with the REIT receiving a promote in connection with the sale. Inclusive of the Walton Promote and assuming the REIT received no other promotes in 2020, we currently expect private capital fees for 2020 to end up between $2.8 million and $3.3 million, depending primarily on the timing of construction management fees in the quarter. As Scott mentioned earlier, we expect our deployment activity to continue to accelerate in 20, excuse me, our development activity to continue to accelerate in 2021 and currently expect private capital fees for 2021, end up between seven and $10 million for the year. I'll now turn things over to Matt to provide an operations update. Thanks, Judd. Good morning, everyone. Similar to last quarter, I'll start with some updated rent collection numbers and then turn to quarterly leasing activity and a private capital update. To date, we've received over 99% of contractual rents for October and November, which remains consistent with Q3 collection rates. Turning to leasing activity, the REIT had 260,000 square feet of new leases and 1.4 million square feet of lease renewals commence in the third quarter. Lease renewals commencing in the quarter had a weighted average cash releasing spread and straight line rent releasing spread of 12.2% and 20.1% respectively. We also signed approximately 700,000 square feet of lease renewals in the third quarter with a weighted average cash releasing spread and straight line rent releasing spread of 15.9% and 21.3% respectively. As of September 30th, the REIT had approximately 196,000 square feet or 0.6% of the portfolio's gross leasable area set to expire in 2020 and approximately 1.8 million square feet or 5.8% of portfolio gross leasable area set to expire in 2021, 
with the majority of 2021 expirations falling in the fourth quarter. Reed also agreed to expand the parking lot for its door lane property in San Antonio, Texas, and we're in active discussions with tenants for similar parking lot expansions and lease extensions at three additional properties. To remind everyone, total costs for the door lane expansion are estimated to be approximately $4.5 million. Upon completion, which is currently estimated to be December 1st of this year, annual base rent will increase by approximately $459,000, and the building lease term will be extended for a total of three years to November 2030. The read ended the quarter with occupancy of 98.3% and a weighted average remaining lease term of 4.5 years. With our private capital, within our private capital development pipeline, the REIT has projects at various stages in the development process, totaling approximately 4.6 million square feet. This includes a two-building project in Bayonne, New Jersey, that is now 100% leased, and one building in the Inland Empire market that is being marketed for lease. In addition, we have eight projects in pre-construction or construction in the Los Angeles, Phoenix, Chicago, Minneapolis, Houston, Nashville, New York, and New Jersey markets. With our development activity ramping up, we remain focused on capital recycling initiatives to both strengthen our balance sheet and create additional flexibility to allocate capital to our growing development pipeline. Lastly, as part of our continued focus on sustainability and ESG, the REIT will be publishing our first standalone ESG report in the coming months, and we look forward to talking more about our ongoing initiatives and reporting on our progress throughout 2021. With that, I'll now turn things back to Scott to wrap up. Thanks, Matt. As I said at the top of the call, there's no shortage of uncertainty in the current market, and we plan to continue our proactive approach to portfolio management and our measured approach to capital allocation in the near term. That said, given the proven resilience of our portfolio throughout the global pandemic and the rapidly improving fundamentals in the U.S. industrial market, we remain optimistic about the long-term outlook for our business. Thanks for your time and attention this morning. Hope you're all staying safe and healthy, and we'd now be pleased to answer any questions you may have. Yes, thank you. Uh, we will now begin the question and answer session. To ask a question, you may press star then one on your touchtone phone. If you're using a speakerphone, please pick up your hands up before pressing the keys. To withdraw your question, please press star then two. At this time, we will pause momentarily to assemble the roster. And the first question comes from uh, Mike McKeithis from Adesjardin. Hi, good morning. <clears throat> good morning, everybody. Uh, congrats on a strong quarter. Um, nice to hear that uh, rampant fee income that you guys expect next year, so thanks for that guidance. Um, on the Walton sale from the private capital pipeline, was that property sold vacant, or did you guys lease it? Uh, that was sold vacant. Um, we had completed the building, and this is a little like the situation we ran into in California a while ago, where we also sold a vacant building. And Anytime we sell a vacant building, I guess you can assume that, uh, and rest assured, it was a good outcome for our investors and our partners. We were happy to book a promote, and it was overall a good outcome. Okay, great, thanks. Um, now, I think uh, there's some additional disclosure on the JV stuff, and uh, there's a new slide in your deck, um, which I really appreciate. Now, I think there was a number, and I can't remember it off the top of my head, but it's somewhere in around $80 million would be the expected commitments over the next 12 months on the stuff that's in construction. So would that be specifically related to uh, Mansfield, um, Egan, and Nashville? Uh, it's, it's actually related to it's a few of those projects along with the 
um, that it, it does not include the Nashville project. It's really Egan, Houston, and Mansfield, and it relates to the amounts that are currently under under contract with general contractors or with subs for the work being done. That's just part of a standard disclosure of what the with the amounts that we have contractually or were contractually obligated to, to fund at this point. Right. I think you had the obligations plus an anticipated spend over the next 12 months, which was great. Yeah, um, on, yep, on, those, sorry, on those specific, yeah, Mike, those are on those specific projects as opposed to the, the greater pipeline that, um, that Matt and Scott talked about. Okay. And that would be at 100% and on top of the land value, correct? Yes. And that's okay, irrespective of the amounts that we some of that will be funded through debt financing. Yes, of course. Okay. Um, I think on your expiry uh, disclosure, the way you guys do it is it's on a, a net of commitments basis. So for 2021, do you have a offhand what the gross uh, expiry figure would have been and um, any, I mean, you've been giving good disclosure on what your leasing spreads are, but just what the leasing spread is uh, for the stuff that's been secured for 2021 renewals at this point? We haven't disclosed anything. I mean, I think the spread information that we've that we have um, is out there, and we've tried to chop that up in a number of different ways in terms of uh, commenced in the quarter versus signed in the quarter. And so I think we've we've put out the in both the press release and our deck, you can see the spreads from the the, the 2021 stuff. I think um, what um, what remains in 2021, I guess, more generally. Uh, is really back end loaded, and I think I alluded to that in my earlier remarks. We're really focused on the bulk of the 2021 activity and renewals occurring in the fourth quarter. So we're just getting underway on a lot of the more material ones, and discussions um, are, are trending positively. But it's pretty typical that we'd be on a timeline where we'd be talking with those tenants about a year in advance. So we're kind of right on top of the, the, the critical point of those discussions. But, but, Mike, if your question was, um, you know, looking back, how many leases did we have when the year started that we needed to renew and how many are left? I think I, I want to say it's three or four million feet uh, originally, and now we're down just to the to the last few. Yeah, no, if you could circulate that uh, around after, that would be that would be great just in terms of the uh, commitments that you have on renewal so far. And then um, last one for me before I turn it back. I know it's it's early or year ahead. You're working on the four Q ones. But when you look at 2022, you got a, a fairly good chunk of leases coming due. So how are you guys thinking about that internally, just given where the market is? Is it is the goal to um, play a game of chicken, so to speak, and, and let the market keep going and rates keep rising? Or are you, are you um, thinking that it's a good time to start knocking on doors and, and negotiating blended extends uh, ahead of time? Yeah, case by case. I mean, I, I, thir- I certainly think we think the market is coming to us. So I don't think we're going to go out of our way to instigate lease conversations uh, in, in certain markets or for certain buildings, but it, it, it depends. I think it depends on whether the tenant is approaching us or, or whether there's an opportunity for something um, that's ancillary to the renewal, like a parking lot expansion, for example. So I think it, we're taking those case by case, and I think that's probably going to continue to be the, the approach throughout 2021. I'm sure you'll start to see us chip away at 2022 20, renewals here in the, in the next quarter or two. If history is any indication, Mike, we'll end 2021 with a lot of the 2022s already completed. Right. Okay. That's uh, that's very useful color. Congrats on strong quarter again, and uh, I'll turn it back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And the next question comes from Matt Comack with National Bank Finance. 
Hi, guys. Uh, sorry for the accounting nature of my questions, but uh, Judd, on straight line rent versus uh, free rent, um, how should we think of that this quarter versus sort of a, a run rate going forward, uh, and how will those two interact with one another? Sure. So I'll just focus on the free rent piece of it. The uh, This quarter we had about 950000 or so of, of free rent. There were a couple of bigger leases that we had executed uh, previously that had free rent out into the future, you know, one month in, in any particular quarter, and so we had, had it somewhat staggered, and one of those or a couple of those hit this quarter. As we look out the next, you know, sort of the next year, year and a half, the leases that have already been signed, we don't see that number um, currently being ahead of maybe three to $400,000 at most each quarter. But as Matt talked about, there are some, some leases coming up and we don't know what the inducements will be that we'll need to uh, provide to tenants if, if that comes up. But as, as we've currently got it booked, we expect that free rent piece to be in that, like I said, three to 400,000 at most each quarter. Okay, no, that's perfect. Um, and then with regards to the asset that was sold uh, and, and vacant, uh, can you provide what the, the costs would have been that you were carrying just to get a sense as to the impact uh, on NOI from selling that? Yeah, we were we were carrying it just, uh, just under what we sold it for. There was a small gain associated with it uh, when we sold it. In terms of the impacts on NOI for carrying value, I'll have to get back to you on that, but it was it was obviously it was vacant, and so we were carrying the the cost operated. It was I'm gonna my before without going off the cuff, I'll just have to get back to what that number is. It's not a it's not a huge number, but it was impactful in terms of the difference in NOI from Q2 to Q3. Okay, and I mean yeah, uh, just comments uh, here. It, it was a pretty good quarter sequentially in terms of NOI, and I don't think we were forecasting it. So congrats on the quarter. Thanks, man. Thank you. And the next question comes from Mantra Gupta with Scotiabank. Uh, thank you and good morning. So just on the uh, occupancy on the U.S. pilot portfolio, which you acquired uh, this year, uh, I remember, you know, you acquired a 95% occupancy. Uh, what is the occupancy right now on that portfolio? Yeah, so, so just to... I guess review uh, that that portfolio. When we put that portfolio under contract, there was about a million square feet of vacancy that we knew we were going to need to deal with. And and while we were in due diligence, so during Q1, we actually were able to lease 500,000 feet of that. So we knocked off about half of it while we were in due diligence. Now, obviously, that free rent impacted us going forward after we closed, but we did chop a lot of the wood before we even closed on the portfolio. Then what you saw recently, Himachu, was that you saw us lease a 200,000-square-foot space in Dallas, which we had been talking about as one of the pieces that we needed to solve. And so that one's solved now. So really, we're down to two things. We're down to 300,000 feet out of 9 million square feet originally um, that, that still remains in Atlanta. And, and it's, the, it's the other part of the 500,000-square-foot vacancy that we leased. It's an 800,000-square-foot building with these 500,000 feet of it. There's still 300,000 feet remaining. It's, it's state-of-the-art, good space, and we're confident we're going to lease it, but we haven't yet. So that's the last piece of the vacant space we need to deal with. And then, of course, just as a reminder, we had that, I'll call it extra bonus, which was the 85-acre parcel in Dallas where we can develop over a million square feet, and we've said before, and, and, and we're working hard on trying to find a lead tenant or a build-a-suit prospect for that, 
But we didn't put a lot of value on that when we bought the portfolio, and for us, that would be gravy to the underwriting. Gotcha. So, so Dallas is done, and Atlanta still needs to be taken care of. Okay. And uh, so, on Dallas lease up, what was the you know what was the lease term on the um, on the lease year, and what were the rents uh, you underwrote on that property? Do you, remember, do you have, Judd, at your fingertips where we ended up versus what we underwrote? Yeah, we, it, the, the leasing, the lease rate wound up uh, significantly higher than what we underwrote it. Uh, it was, we had a, a, the tenant that came to us was, uh, didn't have a lot of options, and so we were able to opportunistically price up that lease. Uh, it's a three-year lease that is, I want to say we're 10 to 15% at least above where we had underwritten it, maybe even higher. Got it. Okay. And then I guess, you know, the acquisition of that pirate portfolio, uh, if I remember, it was in place, cap rate was 5.5. Uh, so do you think, you know, by the end of the year or by the first quarter, the uh, the yield will be much higher? I mean, something in around 5.75 to 5.9% there? Well, yeah, I think what we said publicly when we bought that portfolio, Machu, was it was 5.5 stabilizing to a 5.9. And so the last piece we need to get to of course, is that 300,000-square-foot vacancy in Atlanta. But I'd say this, as Matt alluded to in, in his prepared remarks, you know, the, the, the thing that we didn't underwrite when we quoted those cap rates, of course, was all these parking lot expansions. And, and it's a pretty good return on cost, as you saw. We're spending $4.5 million, but we're collecting almost a 10% return on that money. So to the extent we can auger into that portfolio and do three or four of those, that was gravy to the original underwriting. So there's a lot of things are turning out better than we thought when we put that portfolio under contract. So, um, you know, so far so good, knock on wood. Absolutely. I think clearly you've done a value add since you acquired that portfolio. Uh, and then, you know, staying on the lease theme, uh, on the recent leasing activity, I'm looking at, you know, the releasing spreads are 15 to 20%. I mean, these are large increases. And uh, is that a function of expiring rents being very low? Or do you think, you know, market rents have moved up generally for some of your assets? Well, I mean, most of the figures I'm seeing are showing market rents in the, tra in the last 12 months have moved 6%. And as you know, our portfolio rents grow on average 2% a year. So just in the last 12 months, regardless of where we started the year, we picked up 4% ARB on that, on that growth in rents. And, from everything we're seeing, we expect the market to continue to, to perform going forward in the short and medium term. So we're feeling good about, um, about where rents are trending. I, our releasing spreads on a cash basis have generally been somewhere between that 5 and 15%. And recently, they've been trending a lot closer to the 15 than the 5. Gotcha. And in that context, you know, what are you feeling about the lease expiries in 2021? I mean, any major lease coming up for renewal next year? Yeah, Hamanchu, there's a, a couple larger ones that are in Q4. So that's kind of what I was alluding to. There's otherwise nothing really of size. There's, we've got a 750,000 square foot lease in Columbus that uh, expires really in the, in the last day of the year, and, and another lease that's about 200,000 square feet in uh, Central Florida. Those are the biggest ones, and they're both tucked into December. So otherwise, it's, it's a, a combination of some smaller spaces scattered throughout the year. Got it. Okay. And then just switching gears on the fair value gains in the quarter, uh, what led to that change? And does the fair value gains pertain to only certain markets or certain assets? 
we really saw I mean, across the market, across the whole U.S. market, a you know, continued compression of cap rates and increases in leasing rates. Earlier this year, we'd been a little more conservative in the way we had evaluated those changes, wanting to make sure that they actually took hold before we pushed some of those changes through our cash flow models, which are how we drive our fair values. And so there was probably a little bit of catch up from what we had seen earlier in the year. And primarily it was driven by, like I said, just what, where we're seeing market movements in both cap rates and rental rates. A little bit was due to individual execution at, at, at certain properties, but most of it was market movement. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I'll, I'll turn it back. Thank you. Thank you. As that does conclude the question and answer session, I would like to return the conference book over to Scott Fredrickson for any closing comments. Okay, well, uh, thanks again for your time and your interest in WPT Industrial Read. I realize today was a busy morning for a lot of you, so to the extent you're listening to the replay and you have questions, pick up the phone and give us a call. We'll be happy to answer your questions anytime. Thanks again. Thank you. The conference is now concluded. Thank you for attending today's presentation. You may now disconnect your lines. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.